Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today, we welcome to the podcast someone who I suspect could challenge many ideas that people have about what constitutes good coaching and therapy. Because whilst he's an NLP trainer and psychologist, he's also one of the foremost trainers and practitioners of provocative coaching and therapy. One of his books on provocative work is subtitled, Making Things Better by Making Them Worse. So, Enormously excited to be able to chat today with Yap Hollander. Welcome, Yap. Thank you very much. Uh, a wonderful introduction. <laughs> I wish more people were saying that about me. Well, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. And you can you can pay me later. It's fine. All right. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, look, jumping straight in, um, I, I would love you to tell me a little bit about yourself, the, the work you do and how you got started. Yes, I got started as a clinical psychologist in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, basically, I wasn't very happy with the results we were getting. So I thought in psychiatry we need stronger uh, methods. And so I um, got into hypnosis as a potentially more effective method to help psychiatric patients and from there on I got into NLP which is basically of course as you know uh, hypnosis without trance induction mm -hmm. um, so uh, we were my institute in the Netherlands uh, was the first institute to introduce NLP and um, so we did very well with that for many, many, for decades, basically. Um, and then along the way, I got into contact with Frank Fairley, the uh, founder and father of provocative therapy. Uh, and uh, we were, I was totally flabbergasted, you know, to see and hear Fairley's work. I mean, at that time, it was so uh, opposite to everything you knew in in, in psychotherapy, I was also a cognitive behavior therapist uh, at the time. It was so totally different from that, uh, that uh, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even really understand what was happening. All that seems much clearer now, but at the time, you know, 
if you get, you know, if you get confronted with something that's so totally different from your own mindset, sometimes you can't even really understand what's going on. But I did see that it was very effective. So I studied with fairly basically 25 years mm-hmm. uh, and started also teaching provocative coaching and provocative change work, writing about it. So that's how I got in touch with you. To someone who's never come across provocative therapy uh, or a provocative approach, how would you describe it? What is it? Provocative coaching is uh, helping somebody change by challenging them in a humorous and loving way. Because I've seen demonstrations or I've seen and heard people talk about provocative therapy. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it's interesting that you talk about challenging them with with humor and with in a, in a loving way, because um, I suspect, am I right in saying that without those two key components, it can just seem uh, almost aggressive or overly confrontational? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, we always say for good provocative, it can still work though, even mm-hmm. though it's confrontational and um, you know, sort of sarcastic. But um, from a therapeutic point of view, it's better to keep the three balls in the air. So have the confrontation, have the challenge, have the provocation, but also the love, which makes it, you know, uh, easier to digest Mm -hmm. uh, the, the content and the humor, which sort of says, well, don't take it too seriously. Yeah. So that's the, you know, the ideal cocktail, so to speak. Uh, and if you, I mean, are there, are there certain issues or certain types of people that you would have, you, you wouldn't choose to work provocatively with because uh, you think, well, you know, I've got to treat them with kid gloves, you know, that their issue is too serious. Yeah, well, um, we, so I'm working together in this, uh, in the Netherlands with, uh, my good colleague and old friend Jeffrey Weinberg and my wife and colleague uh, Anneke Meijer. And um, so between us, we have treated lots of different people with and lots of different problems with uh, provocative uh, therapy Um, uh, in psychiatry. Now, uh, hospitalized psychiatric patients have responded well, but also in management, you know, well-functioning managers, basically, with problems. Mm -hmm. Um, I just recently, just a few days ago, um, I saw a lady who had a fear of driving her car. And basically, in one provocative session, she was driving again. She wasn't enjoying it much, but she was driving again. And so um, the only exception where we never do uh, use the provocative approach is on recent trauma. Mm -hmm. So even after a while, you could use provocative coaching on how people are dealing with the trauma. But the trauma itself, we never approach that uh, provocatively, especially not when it's recent. Is there a danger that you can push people too far? You know, I mean, the, the, the book, uh, and we talked about the subtitle being, you know, making things, um, making them be- things better by making them worse. Um, 
is there an argument to say that sometimes you could make things worse by making them worse? Um, well, not in my experience. Uh, so the, the presupposition uh, in provocative uh, therapy and provocative coaching is that people are much more resilient than you think they are. Yeah. So there's this whole dynamic also where when you challenge somebody in this way, you are giving the meta message that they are strong and they can, you know, handle that. If you are very careful with somebody, on the other hand, you're giving the meta message that they're sort of fragile and weak and you have to, you know, you're not so sure that they can handle any sort of realistic uh, feedback. So, um, because that, that idea of being quite soft and, and empathic um, mm. seems like a very traditional and typical approach that many therapists take. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, are, we, are we saying that there's potentially there is a danger that actually if we do that, what we're saying to them is actually, you know, I need to treat you in that way. Yes, precisely. And also, by the way, uh, Frank Fairley started off as a uh, Rogerian, empathic, uh, client-centered, client-focused therapist. Mm -hmm. He was actually uh, taught by Rogers himself. And... Um, so there's still a basis of, you know, empathy in provocative therapy, but it's more in the relationship than in the content. Well, I, because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, and interest me is the nature of how we would define rapport within the, the therapeutic context, whether you think rapport is important to facilitate change and actually um, how how a provocative stance and the traditional view of rapport kind of go hand in hand or do they, do they fit? Uh, yes, they do. Um, well, as an NLP trainer, I'm really very conscious of, um, you know, rapport variables like matching and, you know, uh, your basic attitude. Mm. But um, in, in provocative, it works a little bit differently. It's like, first of all, you make rapport non-verbally um, by, to some extent, matching the person, but also, for instance, by, in a social manner, touching them, uh, you know, sort of sh showing non-verbally that you accept them and that you, you know, see their, you know, beautiful side. Um, but at the same time, if you uh, challenge them with, you know, provocative statements on who they are, uh, you're off very often touching something that they thought themselves, but hardly even dare to thought themse think themselves. Mm -hmm. And that also gives a certain deep level of rapport. Well, like, at least it can, it can do that. So finally, here's a person who knows my, you know, darkest sides, my biggest fears, etc. Yeah, which I suppose if someone appears to have great insight, it helps with a, a deeper connection. Yeah, and also the provocative therapist is using so much of his own uh, material, so much of his own impulses and his, or his own life story and his own responses that it's um, also a really personal uh, type of therapy where um, as normally <clears throat> the therapist is limited by all kinds of professional rules, 
Uh, and there's a whole bunch of things that come up uh, in his mind that he will never say because it's not professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the provocative therapist tends to throw that all out. So he's more visible as a person uh, for the client. It's, um, so can, can you give me some kind of real examples of a, of a way in which you might uh, help someone uh, you talked about a lady who, you know, was was terrified of driving or wouldn't or engaged in the process of not going out and driving. Yes. How, how would you go about working with someone like that provocatively? Yeah, it's um, it was very funny because um, so this this person um, uh, she's in her forties, uh, she has some children, and she has a good car that she shares with the family basically mm-hmm. uh and she uh well as you can often see she had an accident i think four or five years ago and she hadn't driven since she was afraid of driving and she should um she she wanted to drive again she she um also um on a practical level, she need to take the children to certain places and do certain shopping and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she had been, actually she had been in psychotherapy for a long time and the psychotherapist sent her to me to, you know, deal with the driving issue. And, um, well, basically I was saying to her, well, this fear is totally adequate because the Dutch traffic, apart maybe from Amman uh, in Jordan, the Dutch traffic here in our city of Nijmegen is one of the dangerous types of uh, traffic uh, uh, on the, in the world. At least 75% of the people who drive are drunk, either drunk or stoned or both, you know. So you see them swerving on the road, you know. So we have to discuss, you know, if you start driving here again, always start with the Indian saying, Hoka hey, it's a good day to die. And then <laughs> you step in the car, but make sure you said goodbye to everyone. You know, take your children apart, tell them, you know, mom, mommy really loves you no matter what happened. Always remember, mommy loves you. And your husband too. Maybe you call your parents, some of your best friends, before you get into the car. And then it's very important to learn, you know, drive around the corpses. Because, of course, in the traffic, there'll be corpses everywhere. And it's really, really impolite to sort of drive straight over the corpse. You know, you have to sort of swerve around the corpse. And I was just going on like this for a while. And um, so also I discussed with her before that was not really that provocative but saying well um by driving again uh in this sort of murderous name traffic you will give a good example to your children you say well you can get you can uh develop a phobia and then you can get over it so they will get that message you know if they ever develop any big fears they will have this example of their mother um, who overcame that. And that's, I think that's very important. So I sort of, you know, 
sort of went through with her pretty detailed how she would drive, you know, the kinds of other cars she would hit and how to deal with that. And, you know, like I said, the corpses, how to take the blood of the car and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, what kind of detergents to use. And um, then she left and next time she came back, she had been driving. So I was, I was talking to her about, but she, she wasn't totally conscious of why, but she, she was conscious about the example for the children aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So that was a, I mean, I'm not saying this is always going to work because I was really, but I was really sort of surprised that she had done it. But, um, so that was, um, that was very nice. That, that, that's, I mean, I, 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 I love hearing about that kind of stuff um, and the approach that, that you take because it's just so different uh, to how I think many people would, you know, talk to someone who was anxious about, you know, driving. Yeah, and we were laughing a lot during this first conversation. Mm. So there you have also some sort of deep reconditioning where you're thinking about your fear and you're laughing at the same time. I'm convinced something neurological happens then. Yeah. Well, this is a little bit like, I mean, I've had people that come and see me and they say, you know, I'm terrified of flying, but if you tell me that every flight from now on will be okay, I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and the truth is that doesn't seem like a useful thing because I, I, don't, I don't know if every flight from now on is going to be all right. No, no, no. Well, that's actually that was something that she was talking about, you know, how she had sort of accepted risk and accepted danger and, you know, started seeing danger and risk as part of life. I know you talk, you've talked in the past about things like um, an acceptance response or a resistance response. And um, what are those and what's the, what are the differences and why are both okay? Yes, well, so basically we were always going for the resistance response. So in this case, it was very simple. I would, you know... Um, uh, overdo it so much with the danger of driving that she would have a resistance uh, response saying or thinking or feeling, well, it can't be that dangerous. A uh, business person who was about 50 or in his 50s and he had met uh, a woman, he had a, you know, he was very happy with their relationship, except that uh, he was very jealous mm -hmm. and so they would be in a bar or a restaurant and uh, I think he was talking about a restaurant and she would be sort of looking at other men and he couldn't, he just couldn't take it and then of course the whole, he'd get very angry and frustrated and the whole atmosphere uh, went down the drain in that restaurant and they leave early and have a relationship, have fights, relationship problems. So his, um, his girlfriend knew about me and basically sent him to me to cure him of his jealousy. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. There's this woman, you know, she's basically, you know, riding up and down the, 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 the legs of the table. And then, you know, this, well, I wouldn't really, you know, dare, of course, to call her a whore, but, you know... And then, you know, you have to deal with this woman and then you are jealous, perfectly normal. And then you are the one 
who has changed? This is totally ridiculous. He said, well, um, she's not that bad. You know, she's a school teacher. She's actually the head of a school. I said, my God, she's the head of a school. You know, do, do the parents know that? You know, do the parents know what kind of person is, is leading the school? And said, no, 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 no. She's, she's not that bad. So basically, by keeping it up like this for a while, all the time, he was, in, he was resisting that. And that resistance response was, no, she's not as bad as that. And um, the next time I saw him, this is also one of those really rapid cases. He came in and he said, well, uh, I'm not jealous anymore. Uh, and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, you were saying this all the time about my girlfriend, you know, how terrible she was and promiscuous and amoral and crazy. And, and all the time I was saying, no, 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 she's not as bad as that. And that's the whole, um, I carried that with me, the whole thing. No, she's, she's great. I like her. I love her. If this is the biggest problem, then it's, it's no problem. And so... That was a very good example of a resistance uh, response. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, people will have an acceptance response. We, you know, you will go, well, um, you have this problem in your work, in your career, but it's totally logical because you are absolutely unsuited, unsuited for the kind of work you're trying to do. And then um, sometimes people will say, yes, you're right, I am. I want to go, I'll have to go and do something else. So that you are trying to um, basically provoke them in, in a, um, into a resistance response, but accept, you know, uh, but they accept your crazy suggestion. <laughs> Which is good, because if you can accept things as they are, you're also cured, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, it doesn't matter to us which one you do. So, I, I mean, I've seen various demos of a strictly sort of provocative work in action. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and heard various um, demos of where, where Frank Farrelly is in action. Um, mm -hmm. And it strikes me that, that some people go into what I would call sort of a, a state of confusion. Yes, a confusion, confusion trance. Uh, yeah. The therapist would say. Is is that for for you? If you know you hit a confusion trance, is that a, a sign that things are going in the right direction, or you know what does that let you know? Um, yes, uh, exactly as you say, things are going in the right direction, uh, and from this confusion trance, new uh, mindsets, new habits, new ideas, new feelings, new emotional uh, sets uh, may develop. Uh, in in the 70s or the 80s, there were even theories that all the good moments in therapy are trans moments. Mm -hmm. And there was some there was somebody who could really make a pretty strong case for that. Um, in provocative, if you notice somebody's in a trans state, you can also switch from provocative to congruent work and do some good suggestions while they're in a trans anyway. So I was going to ask you how, how much you use provocative uh, a provocative framework as a standalone approach or how much you kind of integrate other skills and tools around it. Mm. Um, yes, it's, it is uh, possible to use it as a standalone approach. 
but uh, you can also combine it with all kinds of other uh, methods where you, you know, do a bit of provocative work, you hit an internal conflict, you do some conflict negotiation uh, from NLP, or somebody will come up with a certain symbol, some symbol work, or even a little bit of hypnosis at all. Um, and also, if when you're doing the other methods, basically, you know, primarily, uh, it's often very useful to make a few provocative jokes mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, loosen things up a little and, you know, bring some humor into it. And at the same time, of course, seeing how they respond to that. And if they respond to that very well, you might develop this further into a full-blown provocative session. Yeah. I really like that and I think it aligns very nicely with some of the stuff that I've seen in my own practice, which is I think um I think one of the reasons people get a little bit stuck is they, they they're used to taking their problems a little too seriously. Mm -hmm. And they're in their problem trance. Mm -hmm. Um so look, I mean historically, um as we we've spoken about before, um I think there are some traditional views of therapy, which is that lasting change, therapeutic results you know, need to take a long time. There's got to be deep analysis, self-reflection involved. You've got to have people reliving past traumas to make them better and, you know, understanding why you've got a problem to, before you can have relief. Um, are those things that you still come across being uh, pervading sort of general consciousness around therapy? Um, and where do you think they've come from? Yes, well, uh, I absolutely... Um, see those mindsets in uh, lots of coaching work even. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think basically, you know, Freudian psychoanalysis is, has been a big imprint for the um, uh, therapeutic culture. Yeah. Uh, Freud was seeing people for years, five, five days a week. Uh, so that has been sort of, you know, has been has landed in our therapeutic consciousness as a basic model of how people change, and you still see a lot of that. Right? Even though, of course, most therapies are much, much, much briefer than that, uh, it's still this whole idea that a it takes a long time, and b once you have the insight, uh, the change will follow automatically, and um, uh, which sometimes isn't the case. Well, actually, pretty often it isn't the case. Um, and then a re reaction to that was the um, uh, Rogerian client-centered uh, therapy, where you basically would uh, put the client in, a, in a, an environment of, you know, warm, emp empathic acceptance. You know, one of the terms of that era was unconditional positive regards, you know, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, uh, I will view you as a beautiful, worthwhile person. And then the idea was once, if you could, you know, uh, keep people in that atmosphere long enough, they would automatically feel so safe that they would change um, by themselves. So you still see that those two mindsets and, you know, mixtures of them in a lot of therapy, in a lot of coaching. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there was the several responses to that again, because 
people thought it wasn't very effective and very often it wasn't. So there you uh, get NLP, uh, solution focused. Hypnosis came back, you know, hypnosis every, what is it, every 70 or 40 years is a new wave of hypnosis therapy. Um, and uh, provocative therapy was also one response again to this, uh, um, this Rogerian approach. Uh, and um, yeah, so that came about when Frank Fairley was uh, working as a Rogerian client-centered therapist. And he had this one patient in psychiatry who was about to leave the hospital. And he said, well, Frank, I don't know if I'm going to make it outside. You know, it seems pretty difficult. So I'm and suddenly, Frank was saying, well, I'm pretty sure you're not going to make it outside. And so this, this patient looked at him and said, well, Frank, you're not supposed to say that. And so here you see, well, you know, clients have a, have a pretty good idea of what, where the, the boundaries of their therapists are. So, and, and so Frank, from his sort of humorous Irish background, started, continued a little bit with him about, no, no, I shouldn't say that, but now that I've said it anyway, there's a few other things I can say. And so he started sort of basically uh, joking with the, the, um, the patient. And then he met this patient again in the streets, in, in medicine, uh, I think it was, um, doing fine. And, and the patient was saying, well, Frank, when you said, you know, I couldn't make it, uh, I thought, uh, well, we'll see about that. And here I am. So then Frank, Frank thought, oh, well, this is a very, very quick change compared to the Rogerian approach that I, uh, I usually do. And I had exactly the same experience uh, about two years ago when there was an institution in Rotterdam mm -hmm. that works completely provocatively with um, uh, young people who are addicted, you know, um, have problems uh, with the law, sometimes are, you know, um, not that intelligent, and sometimes all three of those problems. And I was visiting this, um, so I was in the board of, um, how do you call it, English, the oversight board in that institution. So I, I visited one of the locations and I ran into this youngster, uh, you know, with tattoos and, you know, all the, you know, trimmings of a street youth. Mm. And so I was introducing myself and he said to me, are you the Jaap Hollander? I said, yeah, well, <laughs> for a moment, I thought, well, I don't know, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, no, 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 are you the Yap holder from the book? I said, yes, sure. He said, well, that book is fantastic. Uh, I said, okay, well, have you read it? Because I was, I, he didn't really even strike me as a person who would read a lot of books. I mean, it's my, you know, uh, my presuppositions, of course. No, no, he read it several times and... He uh, was in this institution. He was doing very well. But what I found very interesting, how he explained that. He said, I have been in therapy and counseling and all kinds of, uh, you know, treatments ever since I was 12. And he, I think he was about, 
you know, 25 or something at the time. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this idea, I am nothing and I can do nothing. I'm wordless. Uh, and, of course, everybody was saying, well, no, 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 you're not worthless. You're, you're great. You know, we love you. You're wonderful. You know, think about yourself, you know, positively, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I always thought these people are crazy. You know, they don't understand the first thing about me. So then I came here in this uh, place. And, of course, I started telling them again, um, I'm, you know, I'm worthless, I can't do nothing, I am nothing. But they, the first thing, they were saying, well, you, should, you don't have to tell us that, you know. We could, you know, we could see that the moment you walked in the door, you know. I was telling my colleague, actually, well, if I've ever seen a worthless person come in, it's this, it's this one. <laughs> and, and he said, well, wait a minute. So he was really sort of, had a sort of a really aggressive uh resistant response. He was saying, well, who the fuck are you to determine uh, that? You know, I'm going to determine that myself. I said, yeah, well, you know, some people can determine that for themselves, some people can't, and you, you, you strike us as a person who's totally powerless over these processes. And he's and he well, well, we'll see about that. And he said, in hindsight, he was saying, that was the moment it turned around for me. That was the moment I thought, no, I, you know, I'm in control of my life. I can, you know, I can make changes. Just, well, talk about rapid change, you know. That was a rapid change in five minutes. Yeah. How, I mean, I, I love hearing these these tales and these uh, stories uh, of how people have reacted to this kind of stuff. Um, have you been met with resistance by other, you know, clinicians and therapists when they hear about this kind of approach? Yes, yes, certainly. It's absolutely not as bad as it was when we first started. Um, so the whole idea of provocative coaching, provocative therapy, uh, certainly in the Netherlands has been, it's known now. So I've written several books about it in Dutch. Uh, my Actually, my colleague, Jeffrey Weinberg, I've written a whole stack about books about it, maybe 20 or 25. Mm. Um, so people pretty much know what it is, but um, it does go against some um, uh, traditional rules in therapy and, and coaching. Well, if only people say, well, you ask a lot of closed questions. <laughs> And I said, yeah, well, I'm provocative, that's okay. Uh, or they go, well, you know, you talk a lot. Shouldn't the client talk more? So I always say, well, if the client wants to say something, he has to fight for his term. That's, that's good for him. So it's like, and we you use a lot of, um, you know, our own processes, our own ideas, our own intuitions, our own imagery coming up in the therapy, which, you know, from a Freudian point of view, of course, that's counter-transference. Freudians would also say that humor is a defense mechanism against the, the real underlying emotion. So there's all kinds of, you know, ideas like that. Um, but um, it doesn't bother us much, really, um, in the sense that we don't believe that everybody should be a provocative therapist. I mean, uh, if an institution say they have 20 therapists or 20 coaches, uh, 
and there's one or two provocative therapists, uh, that works just fine because then every all the traditional coaches can send their you know difficult resistant resistant clients to the provocative coach who will probably be very happy to work with them. Yeah, have you know them having a good resistance response. Yeah. So. Um... Just going back a second, there's a number of times that on the conversation um, we've talked about coaching and therapy. Um, what's the difference between coaching and therapy as you see it? Uh, none. So, so and I know this goes really a lot against the grain of the, you know, the, um, you know, present uh, ideas about what is coaching, what is therapy. I think basically. You know, a lot of these distinctions are either an insult for therapy or an insult for coaching. Um, so coaches will say, well, therapy is totally focused on the past and we are focused on the present and the future. But if you look like, you know, if you look at some therapies, you know, even like cognitive behavior therapy is very much focused on the future, uh, the present and future. So that's not true. But also the other side, you know, you know, uh, therapists will say, well, we do deep emotional change and coaches do superficial behavior changes. That's not true either. Some coaching methods, even things like co-counseling and stuff will really go for really deep emotional changes. So um, I think a distinction is sometimes useful, you know, but, but also the whole thing about... Um, work-related problems and personal problems. Uh, you know, um, there's not that much of a distinction, I don't think. Uh, you know, people will respond to their boss a little bit like they would respond to their father or their mother. It's a very personal thing, and, and yet it's work-related. And on the other hand, you know, in your personal life, it's very important important what kind of work you do if you can express your passion in your work and stuff like that mm -hmm. so the long answer is i don't see much difference uh i get more resistance on this point of view than on any you know content things in provocative yeah so maybe there's some things i don't understand about the difference so if, if people wanted to get good at, uh, at change work or working rapidly with people, um, what resources, books, trainings, uh, things would you recommend for them? Uh, especially provocative or any rapid? Anything, anything that comes to mind. Just, you know, using hindsight as well and experience, either stuff that yes. has been a benefit to you or looking back, you would say, actually, you know, I would recommend now doing X, Y and Z. Yes, well, I always say I have four cards up my sleeve. Um, one of them is NLP, which is my basic sort of, you know, fallback method. Uh, the second one is provocative, which I, you know, use a lot, often in combination. Or uh, the third one is hypnosis, and uh, the fourth one is actually something um, developed in the UK by uh, James Lawley and Penny Tompkins called uh, symbolic modeling. I call it symbol work. You know, somebody has a, you know, uses a spontaneous image or metaphor, you can develop that. And so 
um, basically somebody comes in and I wait which method sort of comes to me to, to work with that. So I think it's very important to use your intuitions in that. So now maybe there's even a fifth one, which is straightforward advice. This is also absolutely not done, even in NLP. And mm-hmm. I tend to use that in so if so if somebody's open for it. What you should do is this and this and this, and I'll explain it to you. <laughs> nice. so that, that works very well. Yeah, it's very very cool. Um, if people, yeah, if, if people want to hear more about uh, the work you do um, or experience firsthand um, a training or being involved with the work that you do, how should they get in touch with you? Uh, yes, well, um, I have a um, website called provocativecoachingandtherapy.com. Um, I'm on Facebook in English, mm-hmm. Facebook, yeah, Paul Lomberg. Well, I, I will be uploading all of the contact details that you sent me on the uh, up onto the information guide with I, in, in iTunes, so that they'll be able to click through as well. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon in terms of um, you know helping people facilitate rapid change that actually you know when we when you think about rapid change would be important to to put out there or talk about the whole issue of rapid change. Um has to also has to do with how do problems develop Mm -hmm. and one thing i've once heard i think it was a hypnotherapist say and which always you know um stuck in my mind was that um problems can develop very quickly and problems can develop um, without you having any insight so if problems can develop that way quickly and without understanding, why wouldn't solutions and changes uh, and the solution of that problem, why couldn't that happen in the same way? Why couldn't that happen you know, quickly and without any insight? Mm-hmm. And that was always a, um, somehow a convincing argument for me. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to us today um, and I'm really hoping that people listening it will spark lots of ideas and thoughts uh, about you know stepping outside what we think is possible or what constitutes you know a therapeutic approach uh, so that people can explore you know deeper further harder faster and so on all right well thank you very much for interviewing me Howard I enjoy talking to you and I think you have a wonderful fresh approach to change and I enjoy talking to you Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works. 